Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be going today. Now, as we get started, we are in a series that we've been called Life Together. We use the title out of Bonhoeffer's book, and it, it, Diedrich Bonhoeffer is a, a, a writer, a theologian of the past. Um, if you don't know anything about his story, I just encourage you that you might be interested. Um, there's some, some books out about him. There's also, uh, he's written several books. One of the books that he wrote was Life Together. He was one of the pastors in Germany who actually, who went against Hitler, and he was a part of the conspiracy to actually try to kill Adolf Hitler. And so it's a very fascinating story, but he's written a lot of different things. And he wrote a book about life together and how that as Christians, one of the great things that we need in our lives is that we need other believers and other Christians. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to use Acts chapter 2 to begin diving into this conversation of why you and I need to have other believers in our lives. And what we have done over the last couple of weeks is we've laid out that, first of all, one of the reasons we get together, one of the reasons that we actually have other believers in our lives is for the sole purpose of following Jesus Christ, of making disciples, that we're not just about trying to have a new country club. You don't need another club to be a part of. What you need is other believers to help push you and sharpen you to be the disciples that God has called you to be. Amen? That's what we're called to do. We're called to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's the purpose. And then we began to walk through that when we have this purpose, what God begins to do is he calls us to this new level, this new level of loving people, to love people that maybe we don't even care about, to love people in such a way that we love them so much that we're willing to share everything that we have, that there's a unity when we have the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is working in and amongst us. Because I have the Holy Spirit in me, if I come across somebody, no matter what gender they are, no matter what racial background they are, what unites us is that the Holy Spirit is actually living in me and living in them as believers, and now we are called to unity, to love each other in such a way that the world looks at us and say, wow, they are different. And by the way we love people, the world knows that we're Christians, right? So here we go. So today where we're headed is if this is what we're supposed to do, then the question becomes, How do we do it? How often should we meet together? How often should we gather together? How often do we actually put this into our schedule? Is it a monthly thing? Is it a yearly thing like some Christians? Or is it maybe more often than that? Over the past several years, several decades, there have been TV shows that have kind of encapsulated and actually maybe give us a picture of what Americans are craving. There was, several years ago, there was a, TV show called Cheers. Do you remember that? Yeah. There's a, it, and what they did was they would all gather together at a certain place, at a bar, and that's where they would have their, this entire conversation going on. Then after that decade passed and you come up to another new sitcom, Seinfeld. Do you remember this one with Kramer and all those guys? And these guys were all about meeting together, and they would meet together at the restaurants. They would meet together in the apartment but they would all interact. And then after that decade passed, then we have a new decade that came along and Friends was invented. You remember Friends? All right, some of, I got an amen. Man, I got an amen on that one. Wow. All right. (laughs) So we can get an amen off of Friends. That's amazing. All right, good. So true Friends, and what they started doing is they would meet at the coffee shop, right? So they're meeting at the coffee shop, meeting at each other's apartments. And what every one of these groups had in common, it was that they had a place in which they consistently met and gathered and interacted with each other. And here's what's amazing about this. 
in one 30-minute sitcom show, these friends, these people that would, the characters that we would watch, they would interact with each other more than most Americans would interact with their friends in a week's time. In one 30-minute show. And in this one 30-minute show, we would rearrange, as Americans, they become the top uh, sitcoms of all time, Seinfeld, right? And we rearrange our lives so that we watch other people having friends, other people having friendships. And what we're doing is we're demonstrating there's a lack in our hearts and our lives to have these friendships. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you in Acts chapter 2 the importance of having friendships, the importance of life together, how we need to begin to structure our lives so that we begin together with other believers. And then I want to show you at the very end, I want to show you the benefits so that you and I maybe have the, the desire, the motivation to actually want to be with other Christians and interact in such a way that we become more like Jesus. You have your Bibles, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is where we're going to start. We've already talked about these the last few weeks. Our text is really going to be verse 46 and 47, but I would like to start in 41 just to recap what we've already looked at and what we've already studied. So verse 41, here's what the Bible says. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for the privilege of gathering with other believers to celebrate you to celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross. We say thank you for that salvation. Thank you for the grace that you have given us. Now, God, as we dive into your word, would you give us ears to hear? God, I pray your spirit would have the, the freedom in this place to move, to work, to speak into our hearts where we need to hear you. God, we're, we're wanting to hear from you today. That is our heart's desire and our heart's craving. So God, show up in a mighty way. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to then apply it to our lives as we walk out of here today. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, if you would be so kind, open up your bulletins. We do have in the bulletins, we do have your your notes. We have your daily devotionals as well. If you wanted an expanded version sent to your email, I have a link there for you so you can have an expanded version. Um, every day show up in your email around six o'clock in the morning. Also, you have the notes. Draw your attention to the notes and let's get started here. We want to have this place of doing life together. We want to have a place. We need to have a place. Now, let me show you something very interesting here in verse 46. If we're going to share a common place then we need to have it be a part of our daily routine. Verse 46, it says this, and day by day. Now that seems extremely simple, but when you begin to look at this phrase, day by day, 
The question becomes, how did the early church interact with each other as believers? The answer is, they did it daily. Now, just take a second. What would happen if we had to come to church daily? Uh-oh, hello. Now, we like it for a revival and we're okay with something like that. But what would happen? I mean, how many of us would say, there's no way, right? We can't fit it into our schedules. What about just daily showing up and interacting with each other and sharpening each other as believers, whether it's through a small group or through a Bible study or prayer? How, how many of us could put that into our schedule? Immediately, we kind of push back and say, whoa, time out. Daily schedule, daily routine, are you kidding me? I'm supposed to put this into my daily schedule, life together? So here's what I want to do. It's, it's really an extreme for us. And the reason it's an extreme is because of how our lives are scheduled. And I want to talk about our schedules for just a second. Pre-1950, I did some research on American society before the, the 1950s, before World War II. They said 1950s is actually a, a, a revolutionized movement in the United States. And here's what began to happen. After World War II, we began to actually move to the suburbs. Before 1950s, most people lived in small rural settings and country settings. Now, I know I was not alive at that point, so is there anybody who was pre-1950? Anybody? Okay, a couple people. The, the, first, the first gathering, most everybody in that room was, so I felt really bad talking to them about the 1950s. My knowledge is only book knowledge. It has nothing to do with experience, all right? So I know that, and so we start talking about this, and we started reading on what happened pre-1950. 1950s, what began to happen was this, is we moved to the suburbs, and as the Americans moved to the suburbs, then we began to commute. Before the 1950s, cars were actually very slow. Hello? We call them classics, we like them, but they're still not even really allowed to drive that fast, right? And what began to happen in the 1950s, as people moved further from the cities, further from their jobs, their commutes began to get longer and longer. And so what began to happen is this. Now it's not even uncommon for us to have a 40-minute commute. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth, it's a 40-minute commute. It's an easy. Most everybody in this room has had that at least at one point in their life or longer it's no longer uncommon for our kids if they want to have a play date with somebody, if, they, if we want to set up a play date with the other kids or meet up with some friends, we're okay with even driving 30 minutes. What's 30 minutes? We're, it's, at, it's just abnormal to actually just send our kids outside to play in the neighborhood. Before 1950s, if kids were going to play, what did they do? Go outside. You had to stay outside all day, right? You weren't even allowed to come back in the house. So you stay outside. And that's what you did. Go outside, play. But now what we do is... We even go to the grocery store, but it takes 30 minutes because it's down the road. It's no longer just in walking distance. So what has happened in our society is this. We have become immune to the fact that we no longer actually interact with people. I, even, I grew up in Dumas, Texas. Dumas, Texas is about... 25 years removed from Dallas, Texas, all right? I mean, we're like 25 years behind. So everything that's happening in Dallas, it takes about 20 years before it catches up in Dumas. So it's, it's a long period. Now, here's what I say. Maybe some of you have had the same experience. This is pre-Facebook, pre-cell phones and all that. After a, a football game or a basketball game, I could go down to Sonic. And before I got home, guess what my parents knew? They knew where I was at. My grandparents even knew because their, their friends were calling. Hey, I saw your grandson over at Sonic just a little bit ago. They're giving updates. Have you ever experienced this? Now, this is pre all of those extra, you know, checking in and all that stuff. Now, 
Here's what's interesting. Even during that period, if I got in trouble at school, do you know what happened at home? I got in home. But the teachers had already called. And it was like a community SWAT fest. Anybody could give anybody else a SWAT. Do you remember this? I mean, anybody. If, if, they, if you're out of line, they could take a, get a hold of you. Now, here's where we're at now. Because we've removed ourselves from families, because we've removed ourselves in such a way, we no longer have these tight-knit communities, these tight-knit groups. And so what's happened is this. We've lost the daily interaction. Now watch. It says day by day. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 gives us an incredible verse. As a believer, it says this. Don't forsake the what? The assembly. Don't forsake the assembly. Don't forsake getting together with other believers. Because some people are going to have this. As, as your life gets busier, you're going to have times and moments where it's just going to say, you know what, church isn't that important. It's going to have times where you're saying getting together with other believers is not that important. And so you're just going to put it off to the side. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for you and here's the challenge for me. With society pulling us apart and pulling us away from doing life together, what's going to require, it's going to require you and it's going to require me to actually schedule and put into my schedule, put into your schedule, that this is actually important. Do you see that? Where it daily, where there's interactions, and you're going, whoa, Heath, daily? If you have ever tried to break a spiritual habit, a bad habit, if you've ever tried to break, what do you need in your life? You need daily interactions. You don't need church once a month. You actually need somebody calling you who's your accountability partner sharpening you and say, hey, how are you doing today? Right? And many Christians... We've never experienced the daily. Maybe the best we've ever experienced was at college when we had the roommates across the hall or down the hall or in the room where somebody would sharpen us in some way. But if you really want to experience freedom in your spiritual life where you're breaking the besetting sins. You see, the besetting sins were never designed for you to stay in them. Jesus Christ has set you free. Right? He sets you free. And you have actually been called to walk in a new life and in a new way. But because you're not allowing others to come into your life, you're not scheduling it, you're not allowing it, you're staying stuck in your sin. Daily. So it's a priority. It's a scheduling. It's somehow rearranging. Now, don't worry. We're not going to start having Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night church. All right? Hang tight. So here's the second point. Let's look at the next part of the verse. It says, day by day, then they did something interesting. They attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. The early church life, they had a place. In order to have a common place, then they had to have something where they interacted at all points. And in this early society, the temple was the center of life. Pre-1950, 1800s. Do you know what the center of the community was? It was the church. It's interesting. It was the church. The church was the center of all activities. You remember the days, maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't, where you actually went to church and then you got to stay afterwards and you had fried chicken? Oh, man. Hey, that's some good, that, that should have got an amen. If friends got an amen, fried chicken should get an Amen. Maybe it's a pecan pie or whatever. I don't know what it is. I was craving one of those this week. I had to go out and buy myself a pecan pie because I was craving it so bad. Anyway, that's way off topic. <laughs> so right after, so church, I mean, the center, everything was the center. 
Now follow me. We, we live in a society where we don't have the interactions anymore. The temple was the center, and then they said in the homes. Now here's the question. Where do we, because of our suburbs, because of how we're spread out, and let's be honest, the majority of people even in this room, we have people who, who don't even live within a mile radius. Most of us live within it, 5, 10, 20. Some of us even have driven 30 minutes, 40 minutes just to get here today. So where do we have these common interaction points with each other? I did some more research and just asking the questions, why did this change, what happened? And these guys are talking about the 1950s of pre-World War II. Paul Geisler, um, who is Geisel, is a professor over here at UTA Urban, um, Urban Affairs. That's what he's a professor of here. And he talks about the, the new homes. He said, pre-1950, pre Homes were built with large, wide porches. Even though they might be narrow, they were large, wide porches so that you would set out in the evenings and you would see people walking up and down and everybody would gather out on the porches. He said, now, new homes, quote, new homes have tiny front porches. How many of you would say, yeah, I got a tiny front porch? Because we don't really want to talk to people out on the front porch, right? We don't even really want them knocking on our door. And he continues to talk about how that there's no corner stores, public space for community just together. Pre-1950, he said it was very easy. You would just walk from your house to the grocery store and back. If you were going to do a trip to the grocery store and it was going to be a long trip, you would make it a week thing, not every five minutes. But it would be something most people could actually walk to. John Locke, who's a social expert as well, he talks about isolation here in the United States. In our homes, when we get home, we turn on the TV, close the garage doors, and nobody's actually interacting anymore. He says, quote, in our modern complex society, we are suffering from a social form of progressive aphonia. That is, we are losing our personal voice. During a period in which feelings of isolation and loneliness are on the rise, too many of us are becoming emotionally and socially mute. Now, play with me for a second. So, in a period in which we're now becoming more isolated, we're closing off our doors, our, our, our doors to our homes, everything's being structured so that we're removing people from our lives. We're feeling this isolation. We're now craving, we're now craving friendships. We're now craving interaction. And there's not a social place for us to go. And some of you are going, but wait a minute, what about Starbucks? There you go. It just came in just a matter of a few years ago before this guy wrote it. Starbucks is now a place where people gather. Then you start adding, hey, Heath, what about Facebook? Hello. What is Facebook? Why was there such a need for Facebook? Why did it gain so much movement? It's because we're craving interactions and we don't know how to interact anymore and we can't interact because our schedules are so packed. Are you following this? What about Twitter? We're, we're having to tell everybody, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm eating lunch right now. Who cares? Who, who cares where you ate? But we think the world is about us. Right, did you hear the comment? Because we, we are so, we've lost our voice, so now we feel like we need to tell everybody what we're doing. This new generation who are in high school right now, who are coming into college, they know nothing else about just telling everybody everything on Facebook or social networks, Instagrams. What is, what is up with selfies? Now, let's just talk about that for a second. You ready? 
It is all about who? It's all about you. It was funny, when I first started hearing this word, I couldn't even figure it out. Selfie, what's a selfie? And people, my daughter's telling me, Dad, it's, it's a selfie, and I keep calling it a self-pic. Are you going to take a self-pic? No, it's not a self-pic, it's a selfie. She makes fun of me. Now, it's, it is funny. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because where we're at right now in society is this. We're longing for, and we're looking for a new space. We're looking for a place together. We're looking for places to interact with each other. And then you start tying into the scriptures. I want to show you something. This is pretty amazing. We're called in Galatians chapter 2 to do something very interesting. If you're a Christian, if I'm a Christian, then I'm called to bear one another's burdens, right? How do I bear one another's burdens? I have to first of all know them and I have to be interacting with them. And because society no longer centers around the church, and because society no longer really even centers around the home, we're now needing to do something else. And here's what, it's a verse that you've you've heard before. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus is speaking, and what does he say? Where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. Here's where it's so profound. We live in a day and age where no longer is it just about the temple. No longer is it just about our homes. We now have multiple spaces, multiple places to interact. And I think you need to harness the power of Facebook, Twitter, whatever other venues, coffee shops, school, workplaces. And here's the, here's the call. If we're called to interact and do life together, then one of the things that we have to do, and people are longing for friendships and connections, the question becomes, how can you, as a believer, begin to harness space to interact with people to help develop and make disciples of Christ? And it opens up a whole new world because no longer are you just limited to here. No longer are you just limited to your home. You now have multiple places over multiple medias and multiple forms where you can bring the name of Jesus in. And Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be there in the midst. Do you see that? I find this amazingly transforming because most of us, we back out and we think the media is maybe just some place, maybe it's just a coffee shop, and we don't think about this is the place in which now we can interact for the cause of discipleship and helping our faith grow. And let me show you one last thing here. Look at the next part. Here's what they said. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their Food, amen, with glad and generous hearts. If you're going to actually really, truly do life together, here's your blank, you ready? It's going to need to require food. It's in the Bible, I'm just putting it in there and help you understand. It's there. Here's what happens. Guys, let's just talk for a minute. You put a guy in a Sunday school classroom, and sometimes it's hard to get him talking. You get, them, you get them in a, a counseling situation, man, they don't even want to talk at all. But you put coffee in their hands, sweet tea in their hands, you put the cowboys, well, not the cowboys, we might gripe a little too much if we see the cowboys, right? But you put a game on, you put them in an environment, guys, where, where we're standing around the, the bed of a truck, or maybe we're out working together, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen when food comes out? Mouths open up and we begin to talk. Guys who won't talk all of a sudden start talking when food's involved. Amen. Especially if it's good food. Like wings or, I mean, you just start naming it. Whatever it is. And the the mouths come open and here's what happens. 
we began to share. We began to talk. We began to talk about what's going on at work. We began to talk about what's going on in our families. We began to share and open up. And here's what the Bible says. When they ate, they got happy. Happy, happy, happy. Do you see that? They received their food with gladness, with happiness. They began to get happy. You get happy, your bellies get full, you begin to share, and you begin to talk. Now, let me give you one more thing I've read. Philip Langdon. He's actually a, a writer who studies architecture and also the movement of architecture and how we move society. And here's what he said. The United States has become predominantly a suburban nation, but not a very happy one. It's no coincidence that at the moment when the United States has become predominantly suburban nation, the country has suffered a bitter harvest of individualism, trauma, family distress, and civic decay. I read articles regarding counseling. Part of the job that I get to do is I get to come alongside people and we get to counsel and get to talk and walk through distress and problems. I came across some other statistics of counselors. And the majority of people they counsel, they say this, people are willing to pay just to have a conversation. They just want to talk. They just want to interact. And so they're willing to pay in order to have the conversation. Now, help, help, just listen. When we've removed food and eating together from our lives, we've removed casual conversation. When families would gather, when friends would gather, and they began to eat together, as the mouths were open, they began to receive counseling from the older generation, the younger generation, and peers. And when you remove eating together, and all we're doing is running from one place to the next, you've removed counseling and wise counsel from people's lives. Are you following this? They received it with gladness. And here's the challenge. If we're saying life together is important, then it, one, we need to start with, if you really want to have good relationships in the home, you have to eat together. Heath, you don't understand my schedule. You should see, man, Jamie and I, we just went through our schedules and we're putting calendars in and hello. You put kids' calendars in, school calendars in, and you put our meetings in and you start putting everything in. You're going, where are we going to eat together? Just planning the time to say we're going to eat together. No TV, just conversation. Where the kids have to share what's going on in their lives and we share what's going on in our lives. There's at least a goal in our family. We say, okay, at least two meals a week, if not more, we're going to at least make sure as a family we're sitting and talking and it doesn't count to eat it fast food as we're driving to the next event. That's hard. It's extremely hard. Now, that's a priority. It's a priority to put it in. It's a priority to schedule. Now, let me give you one more thing. You ready? And here's where I'm really working because I'm, I'm really bad at this one. To actually say, not only is it important to eat with people as a family, my family eating together, it's now important for my family to eat with other Christians. For my wife and I to eat with other Christians, to interact. Why? Because we need the counsel, we need the interaction, we need the sharpening of each other. Are you following this? And the biggest excuse that you can give and the biggest excuse that I give is this. We're busy. We're busy. We can't put it in. And I understand we're busy. But you want to see God begin to do a work in your life. Life together must be a priority. And you're going, Heath, it sounds like you're really just trying to push all the community group sign-ups. It really seems like you're trying to push all the different things. And I hear you. I kind of am. 
So I'm not even going to lie. I am pushing it. But let me show you the benefits. Can I do it very quickly? Let me show you the benefits. Because when you see the benefits, I think maybe, just maybe, it will help change the motivation of your heart on why this is important. Why you should reschedule. Why you should eat with others. Why you should do this. Look at verse 47. Here's the benefits of doing life together on purpose doing life together where you actually begin to share your possessions, doing life together where you have the common place. Look what happens in verse 47. It says, praising God. Your praise and my praise increases when I'm doing life with others. When I'm doing life with other believers. Here's what happens. If you want to really see your heart become passionate for God, get around somebody else who's passionate for God. Now, if you find some cranky old Christian, and there are some, Don't hang out with them. Just skip them, all right? But when you hang out with other believers who are passionate about Jesus Christ, what does it do for your heart? What does it do for your praise? It begins to increase your praise. When you're down and you're out and you're going, man, it just doesn't even seem like God's answering my prayers. It doesn't seem like God's showing up. And all hell's breaking loose in your life. You get around another Christian. You get around several Christians and you tell them your story. What begins to happen is they tell their stories. They tell how God has blessed and how God has provided, how God has brought them through the dark times. And what begins to happen? Your praise begins to rise because you're saying God is a God. And if he can do that for them, God, do something for me, right? Your praise increases. Some of you, your faith is so weak and anemic and dying because you're not around other believers who are passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. And you just ignore it and you think that you don't need it. You get around somebody who is just white hot for Jesus, all of a sudden it's just going to rub off on you and your faith begins to rise and you'll begin to praise God at a whole new level. Number two, let me show you the next benefit. It says, and having favor with all the people. Who's having favor? The context demonstrates it was the church. The 3,000 people who have just trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The local church right there began to have favor in their community. And others in the community began to say, wow, what is going on over there? Here's what happens. When we begin to live life together, when we begin to say, that's my brother, that's my sister in Christ. When we begin to share, when we begin to love the way we're called to love, Here's what happens. It is a natural response for the community to say, wow, look at them. We want to go there. What's going on there? That is a different place. Many people, their experience of church is this. That church is against that. That church is against that. That church is known for their fighting. They have some of the best fights in town, but I would never go there. Hello, right? And maybe you've attended one of those churches. Or maybe you even remember a time when this church had a lot of those fights. Hello. But the moment is this. That we're called to be something way far greater. We're called to be a group of believers who are loving like never before. Who are loving people and willing to say, God, we're loving not because we're so good, but because, God, you're working in such an amazing way. And when we love and we have such unity in how we care for others, no matter what their background, no matter what they are, no matter how broken they are when they come here, because we've all been broken, When we love that way, it changes the world. It changes the way the community sees us. Now watch what happens next. You ready? And the Lord, the Lord does something. God now steps in and says, added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. 
God is the only one who saves. God is the only one who can save. But what happens is this. When we begin to live the way God has called us to live, when we begin to be the church that God has called us to be, when we're pursuing Jesus, we have a solid purpose. When we're in unity, loving and caring for people, when we begin to interact and we get excited about interacting together, God begins to show up and it says daily the Lord added. Do you realize that Sunday is not the only day people can get saved? What an amazing concept, right? Sunday's not the only day. It says it happened daily. So what that means is this. It's not the preacher's only responsibility to go out and witness. It's the church's. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, as we go out, as we're interacting, as we're being the church that God's called us to be, through us, God begins to work and people are saved. You want to see church growth? It starts right here. It's not about marketing. It's not about anything else. Church growth happens when we, the church, have a single purpose, and it's Jesus. When we begin to love and share our possessions the way God has called us to share and to love people. And when we are excited about being in this place together. Do you hear it? It's not about anything else. And we can blame music, we can blame everything else, but church growth happens when God's people start acting the way he's called us to act. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we give you praise, we give you glory. This is your church, we give it back to you. In this moment, God, I pray that you would help us to be what you've called us to be. Jesus, I pray that you renew our passion to follow Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to love each other like we've never loved before. And God, I'm asking today, would you help us to make it a priority to reschedule our lives so that gathering with other believers is a high priority. To study, to pray, to ask for you to work. And God, I'm asking, would you give us favor in this city? God, I'm asking that you would give us people and opportunities to share the gospel with others. And I pray that you would add to our numbers daily those who need salvation. In Jesus' precious name, would you stand? This is.